This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Hi, I'm Marie Cummings. I'm a bookseller at Barnes & Noble, and I'm thrilled to be talking with the woman who inspired a generation to exclaim, Oi, with the poodles already! The <laughs> Gilmore Girl herself, Lauren Graham. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm great. I was very excited about saying "oi" with the poodles already to you. I understand. So. It's a it's an interesting <laughs> thing to say. You know, everybody wants to say it the way that you say it. So, are you in New York? I'm in New York. I got through the entirety of this past two years without getting COVID, and then got it. So oh, I, no. <laughs> I am in my apartment. Um, I mean, we were going to be virtual anyway. So yeah, but I'm in New York. Oh, are you okay? Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a real doozy that COVID. I thought I was a unicorn, but turns out not. So um, with you being in New York, does that mean that maybe you're going to be in that final season of Mrs. Maisel? No, they have wrapped um, to Amy later tonight, and I can't wait to ask her a lot of questions about it, but I am not in it. Spoiler alert. Darn, well, we'll miss you. Just enjoy it watching you. Yes. I just absolutely loved your essay, New York as a person, and how it appears as like a character in everything you write, but from like your novel, Someday, Someday, Maybe, to all of your personal essays. So it's so nice to be joining you from New York today. I do think of New York as a person. It has um, helped raise me. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough parent at times, but the way I relate to the city and the way I feel it affects me is just a big part of my life. Yeah. And it just feels like everyone who has been touched by New York as a person, has their own special New York story, and getting the chance to walk through your New York with you and your essay felt so nice because while maybe I haven't, you know, walked those same streets that you walked through, I have memories of my own of saying like, oh, I want to go maybe a different way than I normally do today to experience a different part of my favorite parts of New York. I think there's always in a strange way, a negotiation that's going on and you can take it very personally sometimes when that's what I was trying to talk about is New York gives you these incredible encounters that can't be coincidental. They have to be personal to you. It has to be New York is that thing. And then it really can challenge you on, I used to feel that I, when I took the subway all the time, I would always be the person who would see somebody like spit or do something gross. <laughs> look up, and I was like, "Why am I the only person seeing this? Like, what yeah, is the message?" Exactly. And of course, there is no message. But I would just feel like, "Okay, this is this is a sign of the kind of day I'm going to have, or this means I need to think about why I ran into this person, or I don't know." I really do think of it very personally. Yeah, I do too. When you're in New York, have you ever had a squirrel sign? <laughs> Um, I mean, they're all, they're everywhere. There's so many of them. I would would probably more have pigeon signs, um, but not as in as specific a way as I, as I have had otherwise. Yeah, that makes sense. I mentioned someday, someday, maybe I just loved your novel. It felt so special to me. I loved reading that story. And again, like New York was like its own person. You had 
Franny, you had Dan, you had um, Jane and James Franklin and New York. And I loved that. Well, what I'm working on now, which I've owed to the publisher for a very long time, but I'm very excited to get back to it, is it's a sort of sequel. The Mm -hmm. book will come, whenever it comes out, will be so far from Someday, Someday, maybe that you won't have to have read that, but it's kind of the next chapter of it's Franny in LA, kind Mm -hmm. of recently transplanted from New York. And obviously I've written about myself enough that there are parallels in the real me and this character, but also not at all. And it's been transporting or whatever to um, also write about what show business was in, in the early 2000s. It changed so much, you know, with smartphones and social media. And, um, but you will see a lot of those characters again. Oh, I love that. I just love Franny so much. And Dan really took my heart away. I had read that you had adapted it for a screenplay. Is there any movement on that? Are we going to see it on the big screen anytime soon? No, it was actually through Ellen DeGeneres' company um, (laughs) as a TV pilot, but it didn't go. But you never know. My friend Jenny Han is making movies and TV shows from books from a while. Yeah. Sometimes it's just not the time. Yeah. I feel like with streaming, it could be a good time, you know, for someday, someday, maybe someday, someday. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of opportunities, I feel like, that we could see Franny's story. Well, I always love watching the process of someone following a dream, you know, that is especially the ones that really are true dreams because so few people end up in these artistic careers. Um, And I am just fascinated by what that struggle is. And I think almost it's become nostalgia now to see a character without a phone, without access, without text bubbles on the screen. And I think it's refreshing that there's a limit to storytelling that has to contain all those things. I'm always depressed when I and watching a scene and 50 of, you know, 50% of the people are on a phone. It's just not dramatic. You're not seeing space. So who knows? Well, speaking of storytelling, I love that you consider yourself a storyteller and that perspective that you have on what you do. You're not, you're not an actor who writes, you're not, you know, a writer who acts, you're a storyteller and you're bringing all of these different stories to life through all of the different mediums that you tell stories. So which medium is your favorite for telling stories? Well, it's changing. I would say my work as a writer began not not out of frustration necessarily, but out of the intriguing possibility of being the sole storyteller. Yeah. When I'd spent so many years as a really avid reader, as a person reading scripts, in some cases, getting to play the characters in them. It just started to grow the idea of, you know, I always say about, especially writing fiction, it's you get to play all the characters and not just one. I could imagine the next decade being more writing heavy. Oh, that's so great. So does your process change if you're writing fiction versus personal essays, or is it kind of the same? I have been writing screenplays, so it's not that I'd gone away from fiction. It's a different challenge than an essay. An essay, 
especially in this book, because I had done it before. There's so many yeah. things that I've only did once. And then like, I wrote a half hour pilot, then I wrote an hour pilot, then I did a book. Like it's, yeah. I, I moved around so much. So this was one of the first times I was like, this is a book of essays. I know how I do this. It will still be painful. I will yeah. still really resist a lot of this process, but if I can get my chapter titles, I know what these themes are. I know what the beginning and even possibly the middle and end are. In fiction, the thing I'm always the most hamstrung by is what's the ticking clock? What's the urgency in a way? Yes. Because I love dialogue and, you know, just two people chatting. That doesn't, doesn't make a book. And so and someday, someday, maybe I used what was a real concept at the time amongst many actors I knew, including myself, which is you, there is no time limit imposed upon wanting to do something like that. It's mm-hmm. the world telling you it's when will you give up? It's almost like a terrible, yeah. like, you know, it's like that, that show alone. It's, it's like, you don't know when the time to give up is it's just when you can't take it anymore. So what people would do is say, okay, I'm giving myself two years, three years, six more months, you know, or then I'm going to go to school or then I'm going to try a career. And so that became the ticking clock. And what I'm trying to do here is because even when you start working as an actor, there's still a ticking clock. And the ticking clock is even if you get one job, your mind still tells you you'll never work again. So will you get too old? Will you age out of what people want to see you do? Will you, will the show get canceled? Well, you know, there's always something that is unknown that you're kind of living underneath. And so that's the new pressure in in this book. When you're writing, um, do you still follow the one hour thing that you outline in talking as fast as I can? Like, is that what you set for yourself? You know, I haven't done that in a while. Um, It's a, it's the kitchen timer method, which I think is 20 minute chunks. What I've have now, which I didn't have then, was a community of writers. And in two different cases, I have I have one writers group that meets um, virtually because everybody's in a different city. And it's just starting, but it is sort of whatever each person wants to make it in terms of, okay, by next time, I want to turn in 20 pages for everybody to give me feedback on or I'm not going to turn anything in because I don't do that, but you know, I just, I'm going to tell you that I did these pages or I'm going to help you with your thing. It's just anything that's accountability. And then I have another group where we'll just meet at a Mexican restaurant and just talk about what's going on. And then I get to be part of this other group where we meet and at somebody's house and we write and then chit chat for a long time. It's just anything to keep the train on the tracks Yeah, and anything to have, you know, to be like, how's it going for you? Oh yeah, me too. I find keeps you moving. Yeah. Cause when you were talking about the, um, the kitchen timer thing, I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds so hard to sit there and set the time. And you're not allowed to be on your phone. You're not allowed to just be like, I'm writing and then just Google and go away. I was like, that must be so hard. I wonder if she does that for every single time she writes It's so regimented, but it's the easiest thing in the world, by the way. Really? If you do it, yes, because you don't have any other choices. And even if if you can't stand 20 minutes, you can do 15. You can't believe what you can get done because I think we've all lost track of how many times you pick up the phone or how many times. I have a few, but I'm a Luddite in this way, but I don't pick up my phone at the dinner table and I 
unless I'm like dinner's over and I'm calling an Uber or something. And I yeah. really try not to walk down the streets of New York on the phone. It's, you can't believe what you see. Yeah. You give it up. You can't believe how much attention you can give something in just 15 or 20 minutes. And it's a relief to not have those other distractions. And the time goes by like that. It must be so nice to be fully present and allow yourself to be fully present. I think it's increasingly really hard to do and we have to create it for ourselves. It's not going to, um, the world isn't going to get less technological. Yeah. It's going to be more connected. Yeah. It's just rough. Yeah. In your essay, I feel bad about Nora Ephron's neck. Love that title. Um, you say that you're a rereader of everything from J.G. Salinger to Nora Ephron to Carrie Fisher and Jane Austen. So what are you rereading now? Do you know, I just reread Bridget Jones for the like fourth or fifth time, partially because I want the spirit of this book I'm working on to have, it's not anything specific. It's just the lightness of, yeah. of contemplating where you are at a certain age and how culture is impacting you. And I, I thought, I mean, I love her books, but I thought, you know, that's such a thing, thing of a time and such a particular age of thinking about being single versus being married. And, you know, my character's a little older, but, um, so yeah, that's the most recent. It was really fun. So when you're writing, you do read other books. That was unusual in that I was reading something to jog kind of something I'm working on. Normally, I I don't read anything related to the kind of thing I'm doing. I do always have like a um, thriller because I don't find that impacts oh, I me. Love them. Yeah, I just it's just for fun and um, it doesn't there's not a similar voice or plot kind of thing. And lately I've been this is not in the rereading category and this doesn't have to do with my books, but I've rediscovered Marion Keyes, the Irish writer who I always loved, but she has this Walsh family series, which is like, I don't know how many books are in the series now. I think five. Um, but I love that. And that is something I'm trying to bring in characters from another book, but you don't have to have read the other book. So I was just thinking about how she does that. And I love the tone of her work. It's funny, but there's always some real core issue happening. And so those have been fun. Yeah, I love stuff like that. And you mentioned a thriller. Are you reading any thrillers right now? They are so fun. I just finished the um, J.K. Rowling writing under a pen name. Yeah, the Galbraith. Galbraith. Yeah, Galbraith. yeah. I just read that. It's like 900 pages. Um, but those are characters I have become very attached to. So those are good read. Those are good reads. But back to rereading, I want to talk about rewatching because mm -hmm. Gilmore Girls is something that people come back to every year. I myself do. It's such a comfort. Um, you know, my friends and I are at a point where any small town will be compared to Stars Hollow just in conversation <laughs> or, um, you know, we're all having children now and we're starting to think about what we want our relationships to be like with our children. And it's always like, I want to be as close as Lorelai and Rory. And I just wanted to ask you, like, how does it feel to have been part of something that is such a comfort to pretty much a generation? It's extremely moving to me. I mean, it's really something I'm very proud of, something that was very unexpected. Yeah. And it's a constant um, 
discovery because it seems to be continuing. Like there was the generation who maybe grew up watching it and then their kids watched it, but I think we're almost at the next (laughs) generation of those kids having kids or, you know, just hearing from family members who found it a bonding experience or groups of women who've, you know, grown up with it or um, it's, it's just really something that makes me very happy. It's so lovely because it's not like a show that just like young people watch it and relate to anybody can watch it and relate to it. And even if like I watched it when I was younger and it very much meant something to me then because I identified so much with Rory and then I watch it again and I can identify with Lorelai in so many ways. And then really my heart breaks for Emily in a way that it didn't when I was young because I was like, she is a mean grandma. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, I think that's the richness of the writing too. Yeah, it's so lovely. Because you, you certain things, I think when you're young, probably go over your head. Mm-hmm. It's so dense and there's so much happening and so much cultural reference and just so much, so much. And then as you get older, you're, you see it differently. And, yeah. um, but I really think it's, it's like listening to a fantastic song. The music of that language is so catchy and so it just gets in your brain that I, I think it, it is like listening to a greatest hits. <laughs> are there any stories like that for you? I know that you're a rereader, but are there any like other books or movies or shows that are like that comfort for you? There's so many. I mean, I just watched Notting Hill the other day. I am, you know, any romantic comedy and then weirdly, the Godfather movies are movies that the one and two that I just find fascinating to watch and rewatch. Um, I love Noah Baumbach's movies. I love Whit Stillman movies, which, you know, were made that reflected a time when I was in college in New York City. And it's just so interesting to me to look at them now. I love the Philadelphia story, like host of Katherine Hepburn movies. And I've probably seen all about Eve like 25 times. I just think it's well-made, well-acted, modern, incredible performances. So yeah, I've got a million of them. I was just dying to know that. Thank you. (laughs) I know you said, and have I told you this already, that you will not tell us if you're team Jess or team Logan or team Dean. And I don't even want to know who you think the father is, but I just need to know if you're team Jess or no one, because those are the only options to me. And I desperately want you to agree with me. (laughs) I cannot agree with you. I'm bound by law um, to, I signed an NDA in my mind um, that I cannot, um, I can't even weigh in at all. And also it's not for me to tell that story because what if it continued and I had said the wrong, what if it's the Wookiee? Yeah. You know, oh, no, I, the Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, take this. Those mind NDAs are the most binding They're of all. <laughs> yeah. Get out of them. Well, I had to ask. You, you know have to I sue yourself. To. Yeah. <laughs> Don't sue yourself, please. <laughs> okay. So off of Gilmore Girls now, I back to have I told you this already of some really hard-hitting questions for you. I hope you're ready for this. Have you redone your birth chart now that you have the correct birth time? Yes. Are you happy with it? Yes, but it's not as fantastic as my fake birth chart (laughs) when my father forgot what time I was born. (laughs) 
sometimes will you just claim the fake birth chart because it is what your dad thought? No, because as I say, none of that really sticks with me anyway. (laughs) It's just important in the moment. And I'm so suggestible too. Like if you tell me anything, I believe you. So it's tough for me to consult with the other world or psychics or whatever, because I, I, I'm so impressed by someone who has the confidence to be like, yeah, your third moon is why you're, you know, going to get a dog or whatever. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. I just do it. And that's dangerous territory. So I like for fun to kind of dip my toe in that kind of thing, but I can't stay there too long. I'm that same way. And actually yesterday was my sister's birthday and we were um, somewhere where she was getting a tattoo, but someone off to the side was having their um, cards read. And I desperately wanted to listen in, but then I was like, that seems too private and personal, but I also want to know what the cards say for you. Yeah. Well, I think that's the most fascinating part of it actually is somebody else telling you what, you know, I have a friend who was like, I went to the psychic and she told me the exact day my husband and I, you know, needed to whatever to conceive and it happened. And like, and I'm like, wow. Um, also, I'm fascinated by the tattoo parlor slash tarot card <laughs> emporium. Yeah, it was very interesting. And at the same time as the tattoo, like that she was getting, someone else was doing like constellation freckle mm. tattoos. Mm. So it was, um, it was a very, it was a beautiful studio. It was just a very, interesting experience to be part of just even watching. Well, the tattoo world is really different now. Like, yeah, it's not, you don't have to get a huge, it seems like most younger people have something. Yeah, I do. Yeah. (laughs) It's fun to get. Yeah. It just feels like another form of expression. Right. But anyway, have you and your sister found a replacement store slash brunch spot to fill your Barney's New York hole in your heart? No. Oh, no. I mean, there are, we'll always go for any Mexican food of any description, but it doesn't have the vibe that, you know, it sort of felt like it was our first kind of ladies who lunched. Yeah. And the fact that you'd walk through the store to get there was part of the ritual. And, and honestly, I mean, that essay for me was about how strange it is to have outlived something Mm -hmm in this case, an institution or, you know, a store that yeah. didn't occur to me would ever not be there. And because I had worked there and then shopped there and then gone there with my sister and, you know, it, it was another, it's not quite as personal as New York as a person, but it is those kinds of things that frankly confront you with mortality. It, it can be the smallest thing, like your favorite local, whatever closing. And you think, why, you know, but it was always there. Now it's not. How can that be? And it's just reflective of what's going to happen to all of us. Oh no. (laughs) No, Sorry. (laughs) Morbid there, Lauren. (laughs) But I mean, that's kind of what it was, you know, it's, it's like, no, don't go. When you were working at Barney's, do you, because you apologize a couple of times for saying like, sure, that outfit would be great in your law office. Do you have any specific outfits that stick out to you now that you were like, yeah, looks great for work? Well, 
I talk about this, but there was a thing then that was popular of these antique looking blouses that were beautiful. I mean, the stuff in Barney's then especially was exquisite. It was just beautiful. And, but they were kind of see-through and I did not have any business. Like I didn't know anything about what went on in an office. The closest I got to an office was if I catered a lunch there as a waiter, but I didn't, I didn't purposely lie to people. And I, I don't think I, it wasn't that I didn't care. It's that I was kind of learning on the job. Like I would look at other people and be like, what do they wear? What do they wear? Yeah, sure. I don't know. Like people really dressed for work. That's how it seemed to me. It was very, that kind of Manhattan business look was really fucked mm-hmm. up. Oh yeah. It's so much more relaxed now. There was there were no casual Fridays. That was an invention in the last 30 years. Yeah. Very nice to be able to wear jeans sometimes. <laughs> On the other hand, like I, in in an old lady Jackson way, when I go to the theater now, I'm like, what are people wearing? It's the theater. Respect, be respectful. Like, you know, get dressed up a little bit. I agree with that. And also speaking of old lady Jackson, I love her so much. I love her in both of your books where you talk about her. So, but was there any wisdom or advice that she left out that didn't make the cut in this essay? Well, now, of course, I mean, I don't know that I'll have it off the top of my head, but I was collecting little pieces um, for a long time and I I did leave some out. And now I always think of them like, because it's little things and, you know, not to, again, be too macabre, but having (laughs) not really grown up with my mom, it's some, it's the kind of thing that like your one's mom would maybe nag you about or tell you or... Mm -hmm. You know, like I can remember some of the things my mom said that were not designed to take, you know, up this much space in my brain, but because I wasn't with her all the time, like, you know, when you're designed, when you're decorating a room, like always start with the rug, like the rug anchors the room. Just, she was also, when I was a younger teen, you know, she had things that nobody follows now, which she's like, the boy should call you first. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't you don't call a boy first. Um, so I don't know, just it's little things like, you know, somebody I don't remember who told me this, but do you know if you load your dishwasher with all the utensils together, like the spoons, yeah. the spoons, the forks with the forks, it makes unloading it like it takes two seconds. And I was like, that seems like a really overly tidy way to yeah but if you do it that way it actually makes life easier I'm just fascinated by little tidbits like that I am too and the um the sock thing made me laugh because I got new socks last week and then I just put them on the top of my sock drawer and then I was like no old lady Jackson said (laughs) get rid of those old threadbare socks don't be precious about it yeah well it's just it's again just little things in life that take up space in our brains and like, it's okay to replace your socks is I think an okay. Yeah. You don't need to be attached to those socks. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Does old lady Jackson have any holiday advice? Start earlier. This is what I've learned hosting many a Thanksgiving. There's some idea I had that you have to do it all on the day and you really don't. You can do most things one day ahead and you can make a lot of the sides two days ahead. And then 
what I always have on hand is an extra pie crust in the freezer because what I make for leftovers is turkey pot pie. Oh, nice. And so I just take everything that's left over and it doesn't, you don't even have to, you can just mix turkey and like stuffing and yeah. literally anything into enough of a like thick soup and pour it in the pie crust. It's really good. That sounds delicious. You'll have to thank old lady Jackson for those tidbits. Okay. <laughs> um, also, have you eaten that marmalade yet that you made? Oh, it's disgusting. It's in the back of my refrigerator <laughs> still. That is an essay about the internet making us all feel like we have to be at, or we could be good at so many things. And all you have to do is watch this YouTube video. Why aren't you good at making marmalade and knitting and whatever else you're torturing yourself about being good at? And I just tried to do this thing in sort of a breezy, I'm Ina Garten kind of way. And it just didn't go well. And instead of feeling bad about it, I was like, not doing that. Forget it. Yeah. And I felt much better, but I do have a gluey marmalade in my fridge if anybody wants some. At least you tried. I mean, my, my point in that essay too is like, why try? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes like, like, why try? I was like, I've never even thought of making marmalade before. That must be so hard. Well, and- it's the hazard of living in California where there's so many fruit trees, as I say, you know, and the neighbors are like giving them away and you're like, I must do something with this fruit. What are you going to do with your next? Stock of oranges. Not worry about them. Not make, yeah. <laughs> you know, the same thing, probably give give them away. Yeah. You're nice. The orange box in front of my house that says take one. I love that. Thank you for answering those heavy hitting, hard hitting questions. Appreciate I it. know it's really tough on you about yeah. the marmalade. But I also I have to ask you if you do you really not care about belly buttons? Because <laughs> in talking as fast as I can, you do say what the Japanese word for it was your first word. Yes. And no, you really don't care about it. But then shortly thereafter, you did talk about fuzzy navels, the drink. Oh, interesting. So I think that you might care about them just like a little bit. It's just so funny because I said <laughs> that during a time when no one picked things up and then like you lived with them forever. It yeah. was a total <laughs> silly thing to say. But I do have affection for the fuzzy navel because it was the first alcoholic drink. I mean, think how gross that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so many of them, too. After performing on stage, you know, in the chorus, this is at Summerstock, and then we would do these, like, shed shows after. I don't know how anybody was alive. We lived on, like, pretzels and fuzzy navels and dreams. Overall, what I love about your writing, whether it's your novel or your essays or even your lovely commencement speech, is that it feels very much like you're sharing stories and giving advice to a close friend. It, I felt close to you. So besides generally not worrying about it, um, do you have any advice for aspiring storytellers? I think it's, um, you have to start with the idea that your story is important and then wonder in what way might it be important to someone else because they're equally valuable. Storytelling can just be you understanding yourself, but it's turns into something else when it's a shared piece in a way. And 
you know, so much of anything in life is practice and just pure showing up. I, I can't believe from the time that in earnest, I mean, I was an English major and I had to write as a younger person, but from the time I started to now, just by sheer doing of something, you can't help but get better at it. It doesn't matter if it's running or whatever it is. And, and that was kind of something late in life that there's a Buddhist saying that is there is no wasted effort. So that even if you don't, whatever, reach your intended goal, the sheer doing of something mm -hmm. got you somewhere different than where you started. And um, I think that's just important to remember. You're not always going to feel inspired or inspirational or you're not going to feel you've done your best and you just have to ignore that voice and keep going. I love that. And as you continue writing and growing, do you revisit what you've written in the past? Like, is there anything that you were like, oh, I would like to continue telling that story. And you look at maybe something you wrote before and it's just, you're like, who is that person? I'm always like, who is that person? Yeah. <laughs> These are like alien babies. I like look at something and it, it, it's sort of like when I am flipping through and see myself on television, it's very hard to reconcile that with today, you know, and, and I think that's okay. I think, cause it's so weird. Why, why would you, you know, my niece, one of my nieces saw me on something the other day and asked my stepmother how I got in the television. Mm -hmm. so how did Aunt Lala get in the television? And that's her first yeah. <laughs> discovery of that. And she, how weird is that? Like, it's just these yeah. things are strange. And you always grow from where you were. And the thing about being a, a published writer is it has to stop and get published. Yes. You always go back and change it if you could, but it it's a moment in time, just like a, me on a TV show was a moment in time. Mm -hmm. So I don't go back. I will go back for just purely informational. I say in the book, but there, there were a few times where I had to remember had I told you this already yeah. <laughs> in the earlier book of essays and um and for this novel I'll I mainly had to go back for what year was it and yeah you know, that kind of thing but you know I don't watch myself I don't read myself I try to do the best I can and then go on to the next thing is it nice going back to Franny though it's really nice it's really nice and it and it's um <laughs> I love her <laughs> I'm so glad that's that's so nice. Um, yeah, it's really fun just going back to that kind of storytelling. Yeah. And to imagine, you know, what has happened, like, this is a few years later, and where is she? And, you know, what's going on with those other people? And, um, mm -hmm. no, it's really fun. I love the way that you ended it, too. She's telling Dan about her day, and then it's just, it's just over. And then I was like, oh, no. So it's so, it's so nice to hear that you're, picking it back up. It won't be from that conversation. Totally. No, but it won't. And I feel bad yeah. about that because many <laughs> people were found that abrupt. And to me, it was more, I was trying to, that was so emblematic of the time yeah. of picking up an answering machine and like, just, yeah. But I think that was a jarring way to end 
of story. Um, there are more phones and, uh, but more completed conversations. Yes. I loved, I kind of loved it, even though it was a little bit jarring because then I could imagine how Franny and Dan developed from there. Well, and that was a little of my thought as well. I like, I mean, and maybe that's the years of working with Amy Palladino. Yeah. So likes a little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I think I just can't speak for her, but I think when you're, you do want to let people imagine, you know, what might've happened rather than give a pat ending, but it can go yeah. either way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do want to end this podcast on a cliffhanger. I need to ask, were those four, last four words a cliffhanger? <laughs> or I they were for sure. Yeah. For sure. And I never really knew what if there was a plan. I think it mm-hmm. was a similar thing, which is keep the door yeah. open because you never know because we didn't know. And yeah. And and I just, you know what's more satisfying and yet unsatisfying than <laughs> letting you imagine for yourself what happens next. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I wonder if, and I don't know, but if those characters are so alive for her that she can't put a bow on it, like mm-hmm. didn't want to, you know, yeah. know that it was a business decision. I think it was like, yeah. they're suspended in time and space because that's where they live. They're never not there. I rewatched A Year in the Life over the weekend. Um, and I just I just loved it so much. It's so special. Um, Luke and Lorelai's wedding was so beautiful. I cried the first time I watched it. I cried this time. Um, it just it had such a special place in my heart. And so I was so excited to get to talk to you. I'm so excited that I've I have all of your books here. I, look at this. <laughs> read, read your books. I um, Having spent this time with you has been so special. Your new book, have I told you this already, <laughs> is so nice. Again, it feels like sitting and talking with a friend and sharing stories. Um, thank you so much. That's really, really kind, and I've enjoyed our talk, and thank you so much. Hello, readers. It's time for another TBR Top Off. We're going to recommend some books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of Have I Told You This Already? I'm Mark, coming to you from my Barnes & Noble in Cincinnati. And I'm Madison, coming to you from my Barnes & Noble in Indianapolis. Got a couple of great books to recommend today. Madison, I'm going to jump right in if that's all right. Excellent. So I thought about Lauren Graham. I thought about funny people. I thought about charm and wit and a little bit of whimsy. And it made me think of another funny, fantastic person. And that is Mindy Kaling. She is a very talented multi-hyphenate. I love her very much. And she's written a couple of essay collections. So I focused on one in particular called Why Not Me? This is a collection of stories uh, about her living in the Hollywood life. So she touches on the struggles of being a brown girl in Hollywood. She talks about the weirdness of dating co-stars and actors in general. 
Uh, she talks about beauty standards and body standards and this sort of second coming of age that she had to face, basically coming into her own in a whole new way. It is all told with her trademark wit. She's fantastic because she is able to effortlessly combine twee with smarts. And it's just impressive to watch and very entertaining to read. I thought about, about her also because there's this growing pantheon of uh, quote-unquote funny ladies who are strong, who are independent, who are hilarious, and who are very, very smart. I think Lauren Graham, I think Tina Fey, I think Amy Poehler, Amy Schumer, and Minnie Kaling definitely deserves a place in the ranks of these wonderful women. So please, please check out Why Not Me by Mindy Kaling. Madison, what do you have for us? Love funny women. Mm-hmm. I went in a different direction. I pulled from Gilmore Girls because that was such a staple of my growing up, my childhood. Um, the dynamic my mother and I wish we had. I don't think anyone can achieve the dynamic of Rory and Lorelai, no matter who tries. Yeah. Um, but what we wish we had. And then also my fellow bookseller, Olivia, really, really recommends this book, especially if you are a Gilmore Girls fan. And that is One Italian Summer by Rebecca Searle. So this book has a little bit of everything you'd want. Um, it has that strong mother-daughter narrative that you see with Rory and Lorelai, but kind of set in an alternate universe, if you will. It's also very food-heavy for all of those of us that love Luke's Diner. There's a little bit of that. And it has an opening quote from the last episode of Gilmore Girls. But I think what really drives this book home is that if you want to pair it with Lauren Graham's new book, you can, because this audiobook, especially if you'd rather listen to it instead of read it, is read by Lauren Graham. So I feel like that's an endorsement in and of itself. It is a fiction book, but you'll get that, that little slice of life if you're, you know, you're missing Gilmore Girls. It's been a long time since it's been on air. And you'll get, you'll get I'm funny women. That's the theme of this episode. Yes. Funny, smart women. That was One Italian Summer by Rebecca Searle. Fantastic. Such a great pick. Um, And yes, funny women are the best and funny, smart women even more so. Well, that is all we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning into Port Over. Please make sure to give us a rating and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us at Barnes & Noble. Pretty simple. I'm Mark. You can follow my home store at BN Westchester. And I'm Madison. You can follow my home store at Be in River Crossing. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Happy reading. Bye. Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.